Thanks to Harry's for supporting The Motley Fool. Harry's stands behind the quality of its blades, but they know that switching razors isn't an easy decision. So they created a trial offer. Claim yours by going to harrys.com slash fool. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. And welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. A delight to have you join us here at the, is it fair to say, the height of summer? I think we're awfully close to the height of summer right now. We're taping this on July 17th, Tuesday. We typically do tape a day before we air, Wednesdays, every Wednesday. And I hope you've subscribed to Rule Breaker Investing as a podcast via Spotify or Google Play or iTunes. We're here every week. And I am delighted this particular week to bring back two of my favorite fools. One of them, of course, is my brother Tom, and the other is our longtime producer, Mac Greer. And Mac, you sure have have been on market foolery a lot in the last 10 days or too so. Too much. Too much for me. Well, in addition to your wonderful hosting of The Motley Fool's daily podcast, Market Foolery, one of my favorite podcasts, Mac has also taken the time to go back into that deep vault of audio gold to find past clips where Tom, you and I got to interact with various people talking about money and foolishness in life. And Mac, thanks a lot for the effort that you put in. Now, this is called Blast from the Radio Past, Volume 2. Two, we first did this in April. So if you enjoy this one, you can go back and listen to that one. But I said at the time, I think this is a series. It's so much fun going over these clips with Tom and me reflecting, Mac with you queuing them up and having conversations. And so that's what we're doing this week on this podcast Blast from the Radio Past, Volume 2, some past clips and our present day reactions. With all that said, I want to welcome my brother Tom Gardner. Happy to be here. Awesome. And Mac Greer. Uh, Mac, what'd you have for lunch today? I have not had lunch. Right, so. because we don't let you eat, because yeah. we need you to work hard on behalf of All Motley Fool Podcasts. Yeah, well, I'm going to I'm gonna go over to Whole Foods after this. Excellent, yes. Only a block away from Full HQ, kind of awesome. All right, so with, without further ado, guys, I think we should just get started, get right into it. Mac, what is the first clip that you have queued up for us? Okay, well, the first clip, um, he recently stepped down from his chairman position, and there's been talk that he may have presidential aspirations. Mm. So, we're going to kick things off with... Um, Starbucks almost founder Howard Schultz. I say almost because he really technically isn't the founder, right? But has been there from from near the beginning. Um, and we had an opportunity to interview him several times on the radio show. And this interview is from 2004. So 2004 interview with Starbucks Howard Schultz talking about the future. Now before we cue that up, and Anne Henry, our producer this week, is going to cue that up. Tom. Thinking about Howard Schultz, you and I have gotten to meet him a little bit and got to know him some over the years. What is your personal probability that Howard will be running for president in the year 2020? I'd say 50%. I think the other half of it is could be tough for Starbucks because taking a political position can be uh, divisive out there for businesses. So that that's got to be weighing on him. Uh, he, you know, I mean, he may not be working, you know, as actively at Starbucks, but. It's been his heart and soul for his entire life. So I'd say 50%. I think it'd be a great thing. I mean, he's he's obviously an amazing person, a great leader, and we want as many great candidates running for any office. Tom, without being too political here, does he have your vote? Uh, I'm pretty pr- pretty personal about my vote. Nice. Pers- personal about my beliefs and my vote. I'm not a conversion person. Are you a write-in guy, maybe your own name, for example? Pretty personal with your vote? Uh, I don't know that I've written written in, but if I do, my older brother will certainly be one of the nice. possibilities. I'm definitely not running, but I would be honored if anybody wants there, to write Dave. me why in. Wouldn't, why wouldn't nice. you? Mac, do you think that Howard Schultz is going to run for president? Uh, yes, I think he's going to run. Yeah. 
All right. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not not sure he can win, but I think he's going to run. Yeah. All right. Let's roll that clip. What's the biggest opportunity for Starbucks going forward, and what's the biggest challenge? Well, believe it or not, the biggest opportunity is the same opportunity we've had for the last 10, 15 years, and mm-hmm. that is the continued growth and development of our retail stores. Uh, we still believe very strongly that we're in the early stages of uh, building out our store base in North America, despite the fact that we're uh, sitting with 8,000 stores now, 6,000 in North America and 2,000 overseas. Okay, so 6,000 stores in North America. What year was that, Mac? That was 2004. Wow. Because I was just checking, like, through 2017, as of the end of last year, and I'm sure they've opened some more here in the first six months of 2018, but the company now had um, just about 14,000 stores in just the U.S. Um, more than half, by the way, which were company-owned, but Starbucks also does license uh, significantly. In fact, the mix, for those keeping score at home, roughly about 8,000 company stores, about 6,000 licensed stores. That's through 2017. So. Howard grew that company some. Yeah, I mean, what an incredible um, investment it's been. Um, and you do have that question about how they'll perform without Howard as CEO. Um, he stepped down in 2000 initially. You know, it was kind of questionable whether he stepped down. He may have been pushed aside a little bit because mm. the company may not have agreed with some of his thinking, and that ended up being a mistake. Returned in 2008, and obviously it's been an incredible stock since then. Um, and so now we'll see how it does without Howard as actively involved. But uh, he's he's definitely one of the greatest uh, CEOs of the last half century in the U.S. And he's really an eloquent guy as well. I mean, he's a very well-spoken CEO. Not very few CEOs can I think inspire in the same way that Howard does. And you think about what he did, um, helping pay for college for some of his baristas. He's always been very socially minded. And certainly in in 2018, um, sensitivity training and shutting down the stores for for a whole day, and that that made national headlines. It's a company that is so ingrained in especially American culture that they, through Howard's vision, I think, have felt the need to kind of react and lead culturally in a way that's strange for many other businesses. Have you heard the second Howard Schultz clip? Because you just teed it up wonderfully. So let's just go ahead and roll it. It's the same 2004 interview, Howard Schultz talking vision. Howard, where did your vision for Starbucks come from? You know, I, uh, I I took a trip to Italy in the early '80s, and that was kind of the uh, the epiphany. But I think my vision for Starbucks happened a long time before that, and just trying to create a company with a conscience. And that's, you know, I grew up uh, on the other side of the tracks, and uh, with a my, my dad never made more than twenty thousand dollars a year, and I saw firsthand the fracturing of the American dream when, mm-hmm. when there wasn't a lot of money to go around and never believed or or thought I'd be in a position that I am today. But I think the vision for the company of trying to create a company that's based on a set of values mm-hmm. and a culture in which people are respected in the workplace is really based on where I came from, trying to build a company that, that has a soul. Company with a conscience. What do you think, Mac? I think that sounds like a speech that a presidential candidate gives. Yeah, I, I think that um, Howard. I mean, it's interesting. He mentioned going back to Italy in the '80s, but it actually started much before that. And of course, Starbucks came public only in the '90s. So what he's referring to is early in his heart as a younger man, just wanting to be part of a company with a conscience and 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 starting one in this particular case, uh, nearly founding one. I meant to say Mac, but um, yeah, I, I think that Howard is. A classic example of somebody who thinks bigger than just the business that he's working on. Yes, and uh, 
if you think about Starbucks, uh, their culture is is really extraordinary for having hundreds of thousands of employees around the world and to try and maintain the consistency of the experience at Starbucks. And it's not easy. It's harder. Um, I remember saying to Howard once, hey, uh, it's got to be great to wake up in the morning and know that the whole world is coming to buy your product. And he looked at me and said, you must be insane. Um, it's not that easy. It gets harder as you grow. You have more stores. You have It's much more complex. So you have to decide if you really want to solve the problems of your company as it scales or if you're getting worn down by them. And in Howard's case, he loved solving them, and, and he did. And he, cre- he created an environment where relative to their industry, remember, we think, compare Starbucks to like Google or Facebook, it's pretty hard. You know, I mean, those have campuses. They're, they're typically very highly paid uh, workplaces. Um, uh, Starbucks, as, a, as essentially a restaurant business, to create the culture they have is really amazing. And full disclosure, I should mention that Howard Schultz was invested in us, well, at least indirectly, through his own venture capital firm, Mavron. Uh, and they first invested in us in the late 1990s. So that's when Tom mentions talking with Howard. We had those opportunities um, in an unusual way relative to many CEOs. And he always distinguished himself as a passionate person, um, a very ambitious person in the best sense of the term, I think. And uh, and one thing I remember him saying, Tom, about us, which I've always appreciated. Maybe you remember this too. And correct he thought me if we I'm were wrong. amazing. Is that what he said? Well, he, he thought, thought we you were, were he thought you were particularly good looking between the two brothers, but that's a totally <laughs> separate thing that I, I don't know how that happened, but I do appreciate it, and I agree with him. But I, I wanted to say what he thought about the Motley Fool, not about you or me. He said, "You know what you guys are about," and this is early on, and he's just kind of this was his read on our brand. He said, "You guys are about hope. That's what you guys are doing. That's what you're selling." And he wasn't being cynical at all, because ultimately we hope that hope converts to results. For every Motley Fool member, but that was, I think, the optimism and the fun of the Motley Fool. That was his read. I've always remembered that. I'm sure you have another great Howard line, um, which I think applies to all businesses. He said, "In the end, remember, it's not how well you do for others; it's that you, it's that they know that you care." Or you've probably got the wording better on that, Dave. What is it? At the end of the day, it's not being about the best at what you do; it's about knowing that you care. Because that's true. A lot of service businesses, you're going to make mistakes, but you need to show your customers that you care. And if you do that every day, things will work out well. I love that. Yeah, I agree. Let's keep honing that line. And you know what? I I agree that you you pretty much nailed it. That was, and I'd forgotten that line, so I'm glad you remember that, Tom. But yeah, so um, you know, it'll be interesting to see Howard Schultz the next couple of years, which way the wind blows. Uh, My money is also on him running for president. I've tweeted it out before. I'm confident. So, do you have your vote? He he probably has my vote. He probably has I, your vote. You know, one of our one of our values of the Molly Fool, as you vote. well know, my 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 good brother is is topping it, and so I would say if somebody comes along and tops it, like if somebody that I like more than Howard runs, then I, I would definitely I would consider Mac. Let's just do yeah. that right now, Mac versus That'd Howard. Be frightening. So a couple no, I'm, really look, quick Howard, breakdown. Howard, Obviously, yeah. this is off. This is Howard. shooting from the hip here. Yeah, this is yeah, off the cuff. Yeah. But, Howard. But to yeah. me, Mac. I think Mac brings a deeper, more convincing Who gets voice. The check just the voice, the vocal quality. Who gets the checkbox on leadership? Howard, I, I I would also give Howard the checkbox. You get the Howard no, checkbox on leadership. Got absolutely. It. How about um, achievement? No, I cut. How about twice. A professional achievement? Who Howard, gets the checkbox? Howard. I would say Howard. That'd by, be Howard. Yeah, just as well. Just just That'd by hair. Howard. By hair. There. So what about um, size of head? Oh, I can Physical totally size dominate. Of head. Are you talking Mac, like circumference or Mac like water has, displacement? I meant ego. Oh, okay. Um, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna lay off. I that actually one. might I go my, with Howard on that one. Yeah. but I think that Mac has a will displace more water He's in the a tub with his head. Yes, uh, I also would fair. say that Mac has a better and deeper knowledge of Houston area sports teams. Is that He's got Texas. That is true. I think Mac, Mac will carry Texas. I think Mac probably does carry Texas. And how many electoral votes is that roughly? I, and and the only thing. I'm sorry, since there's a Texan native here, it's, how many it's, electoral votes is that exactly? It's thirty-ish, something mm. or forty-ish. You know, I would say this: if Mac's going to run, he needs to know that down pat. For some of these stump speeches, you can't say thirty-ish when you're addressing. No, I'm going to make that an asset. I'm not some bean <laughs> counter. I'm not about electoral <laughs> votes. I'm about your hopes and aspirations. All okay. Right. So let let's lighten the mood a little, because I mean Howard's great. Are we sticking with Howard? Or are we done with Howard? No, we're done with Howard. All right. Well, thank you very much, Howard Schultz. Good luck to you, regardless of what you do, and also for all of us Starbucks shareholders. I hope things hold up pretty well there. Um, you know, they're going through some turbulence right now, so we'll see. Okay, guys, let's lighten the mood and move on to a 2002 interview with Cheech Marin. Now, Cheech, if we're of a certain age, a lot of us think Cheech, and we think Chong. Yeah, Cheech and Chong. I never saw any of their movies, but um, but they they were a fun um, Hispanic American crew that talked a lot about marijuana, as I recall. Back, I think a whole day. lot about marijuana. Yeah, and these days it's increasingly being legalized, but those days it was edgier. That's right, it was edgier. And Cheech also had some other acting roles, Spy Kids, um, did voiceover work in The Lion King, and so. And I will say, I just watched the movie Coco, the Pixar movie from I think it was 2017, right, the end of last year, enchanting movie. Saw that again last night, and Cheech has a speaking role in that movie as well. So he maintains his relevance right into the modern day. And this clip from 2002 is part of what we called our buy, sell, hold segment, where we said, if these were stocks, would you be buying, selling, or holding? And we ask him about a couple of things. Let's roll that. Let's start off with legalizing marijuana. Buy, sell, or hold. Buy. Why? It's a growth industry. Uh, at some point, it's going to be legal. Just like beer, and uh, if you get into the uh, marijuana futures, you'll probably make a lot of money. And let me ask: How is it going to eventually become legal? I think that there's going to be a critical mass of people that indulge and or see the benefits of it, both medically and whatever. That it uh, and and as as legis- more and more legislators legislators get of that age and of that experience, there's How- going to be a critical mass that's going to. Send it to the other side. Wow. Okay, I'd forgotten we'd asked that. Nostradamus. I feel like he made the call there. Yeah. I mean, it's not fully played out across the U.S., but on October 17th, it will be uh, formally legalized across the country of Canada. Uh, that's a that's a pretty profound uh, shift, and it's going to have some implications for businesses. There are about 100 public companies in Canada that are at the starting line with very little or no operating histories, just about to go live in October with uh, with this business. And yeah, I mean, I, I've certainly talked to doctors over the last 20 years who've said that marijuana is far healthier than alcohol. Um, and so when you think about that, and you know, there are many forms of marijuana, right? There's marijuana, C- CBD, oil, there's oils, there's a whole variety of ways that it's being used medically. Tom, and, seems like you know a lot about marijuana. Well, I mean, I, I just worked on Marijuana Mavericks with David Kretzman in Canada and uh, helped them um, uh, pick one. I picked one stock for the, uh, for the offering, and I thought they did great research. Do you want to share? Oh no! That, that you got to subscribe. I that sounds <laughs> just fine. This is a free podcast, so but I, I mean, mean, David Kressman did incredible research. I actually knew very little about what was happening in the industry, and I can say now that I look at it, I'm like, um, yeah, it seems like it's a better growth market around the world than alcohol. 
mm. over the next 20 well, years. Well, and there was Cheech 16 years ago saying, you know, think about marijuana futures. Here we are, Matt. Good call and good pull on this one. Thanks. Did you ever see Up in Smoke? I, I did never, not. I never saw it. Cheech and Chong? No, Mom? did yeah. not. No, not not high on your... Probably never going to Pun see intended? It. Yeah. Oh, no. No pun intended. But okay. thank you. Okay. okay, so the second part of the buy, sell, hold. Well, you'll, you'll hear it here. Okay, and since your work has been featured in The Lion King and others, buy, sell, or hold voiceover work. Oh, buy. Every time I get a royalty check, I thank my lucky stars. Uh, uh, you know, and, and you can get serendipitous, too. I, when I did The Lion King, I just did it, you know, because I wanted my kids to hear me in an in a, in a animated feature. And and, and uh, uh, it, was, it was relatively uh, little. The, the fee that I got was a standard See, however, that that movie went on to huge be the biggest uh, video cassette seller ever, and then the soundtrack was enormous. So, so are you getting a royalty check once a year from that? Is that how this works? Yes, sir. And will will you do it for our listeners, Cheech? Will you will you give us the voice of Bonsai the hyena? Well, we could eat whatever lying around. Get it? Lying around. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and that work does continue through to today. I have to admit, I've, I've forgotten that character. Mac, have you seen The Lion King in recent years? I know not, you have younger kids. Not recently, yeah. yeah. Broadway? Yeah. Off-Broadway? I have not seen it, no. If it's not Hamilton I don't or think it's Dear Evan Hansen, then I haven't seen it. <laughs> okay. Um, so, one thing I'd like to note, just for posterity, is that Cheech's character in Coco, for anybody who might watch Coco, is the corrections officer. So, do note that that same voice and that same... But what an interesting point. I mean, it's great work if you can get it. I don't know that any one of us three has gotten voiceover work yet. Yet. I'm very open to it. If I anybody think, wants to invite me Max, or... Max got that. The, thing, the question what? is, who would Mac voice over? Yeah. I mean, what type of maybe like, like an animal, right? Oscar something. the Grouch? Yes, Oscar could the Grouch. Be? Or something that doesn't exist in nature, really. I don't know what it is. Hedgehog? Hedgehog. That'd be good. I had someone a few years ago who I talked to for a number of years trying to book people, and they finally met me, and they said, I thought you were a 60-year-old smoker. Dump truck? That was always the vision they had. So maybe that's it. Dump truck? <laughs> That, Could like, you do a smokes. dump truck for us right now? I can't do a dump truck. <laughs> I think you just did. Okay. Pixar, yeah. we await you. We await the call. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm accepting all, all offers. Thank you to Harry's for supporting the Motley Fool and Rule Breaker Investing. Harry's founders were fed up with expensive razors, a world where. Yeah, we as guys, we have to shave, and yet do we have to pay the prices that some of the traditional manufacturers were charging? Well, Harry's went on to develop a great shave with its own great blades. That's why they bought a factory that's been making some of the highest quality blades in the world for over 95 years. And by selling directly to you over the internet, Harry's can offer its blades at a price much lower than the leading brands. How about this? $2 per blade compared to typically $4, maybe even more. And, of course, with Harry's, there's a quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, just let them know within 30 days, and they'll give you a full refund. So you have an opportunity now, all of my fellow fools, to get a $13 value trial set that comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. That's a weighted ergonomic handle, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich, lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Listeners of this show can redeem that trial set at harrys.com slash fool. 
That's right. Make sure you go to harrys.com slash fool to redeem your offer and let them know I sent you to help support this show. Thanks, Harrys. So, guys, we're coming off Wimbledon where Serena Williams made the final. She didn't win, but she's had just an incredible run. But long before Serena, there was Billie Jean King, who was incredibly dominant. Um, She won 20 Wimbledon titles. Um, She won 71 singles titles over the course of her career. And, of course, a lot of us know Billie Jean King for her 1973 match against Bobby Riggs, The Battle of the Sexes. Did you see that movie with Steve Carell? Never did. I didn't either. I did hear good things about it, though. I know that she crushed him. Tom sees a lot more movies than I do. Yeah, I should have seen it. If Tom hasn't seen that movie, then probably it's not worth seeing. Only thing that gets me on my elliptical is a good new TV series. That's pretty awesome. Well, this is from... For example, Babylon Berlin on Netflix, absolutely fantastic. Is that really good? Weimar Republic, Germany, 1920s. It's a great many-part series. Nice. Highly recommend it. Subtitles. You've got to got to buy into the subtitles. I can't do that on that. That's Unless you work. speak German, Mac. Do you speak German? Uh, you know, just a little. Could you I, give us a, could you give us a I'd, I'd rather not. A German I feel like dump that's truck? pretentious. I feel like that's too pretentious. That's, but, oh, that's pretentious. but yes, I feel yes, like, I could. I feel like we're <laughs> veering a little bit down a cul-de-sac that I think we want to hang out in briefly, which is talking a little bit about what's good out there on Netflix and I've got a recommendation as well. The Thank Staircase. You. Have you seen that? That's that's I, I saw some Precursor to that many many years ago. It's kind of it's grim. Yes, it's grim. But I mean, it's it's a it's really a remarkable. Is it unsolved? Um, I don't I don't want to spoil. Okay, yeah. So I'll say this that um, the staircase, which is uh, the story of Michael Peterson and uh, the grim. purported murder of his wife, and this is in the Durham, North Carolina area, where I went to like school. everyone the guy knew died at the bottom of a staircase. It's not like quite, not quite, years. but without spoiling things, there is a surprising revelation midway through that it had hap- something bad had happened on a staircase before, and that factored in. But um, I won't say the result of the trial, because that's part of the fun of this 12-episode or so miniseries, but what's really cool is that the story then is picked back up. So, ah, Tom, you probably saw I the see. earlier version of Staircase, wow. which was made for like documentary this film a, back in 2005. This is an update. So, the story starts coming back in 2014, oh, 15, 16, DNA 17. I'm not going to give that away. Sites. I know that's a fascination of yours. And I think that's cool, too. So, I, I can't give that away, but I do recommend The Staircase. I Come on, give it away. Done. Nope. It sounds dark. Mac, are you watching anything interesting on streaming? Um, Stranger Things. I love Stranger Things. Yeah, so. it's, it's excellent. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're between seasons. Huge for, for I'd love to hear from listeners... Which one of those three they like more after watching them? Staircase, Stranger Things, Babylon Berlin. I think that's really cool. And in fact, our Twitter feed is at RBI Podcast. That's our account. You can probably, I think it makes sense. And would you consider tweeting out and putting out a poll? How many emails do we expect to get on that? But like, how Not many... actually emails. Just think of poll votes. Okay, good. How many poll votes do we think we'll get? I don't know. On some of our polls, we've gotten like 100 votes. Let's do this. I think we can get at least 40. I'm going to throw on in a fourth one. one, which is that Black Mirror is what I've been watching. Black Mirror is nice. outstanding. Black Mirror, they're all Don't watch it alone at like 11 o'clock. I've on made a, that mistake. On a, sa- a Sunday evening, you're just going to feel horrified. But they're standalone episodes, so you can start and stop anywhere in the What do you think the, the percentage chances are, Anne, that we're living in a simulation right now? I would say at least 12%. At least 12%. Wow, it's amazing. You know, Nick Bostrom says that the chances that we aren't is like one in billions. Well, you know what wasn't a simulation? The nineteen seventy three Battle of the Sexes. Here we go. Let's it get back to this. It was a real tennis match. I was there. 
You were there? I was there, yeah. That's we, awesome. we, we, we're not going to include this part of the interview, but yeah, we actually, you apologized to Billie Jean King on my behalf because I rooted for Bobby Riggs. <laughs> you rooted As for Bobby As in my Riggs. father, my older brother. I was totally <laughs> under duress. I was eight years old, nine years old. So I didn't really know what I was doing. That's awesome. Um, and she was very gracious. And she accepted you got the a, You got a clip to roll here, Mac. I got a clip. Okay, let's talk about an event that's forever etched in many of our memories, your victory over Bobby Riggs in the 1973 Battle of the Sexes at the Houston Astronome. When you describe that event to someone born after 1973, <laughs> what, what do you say to them? I try to set the scene for them. I try to tell them that Watergate was heating up, that it was the height of the women's movement. Uh, in 1973, women could not get a credit card mm. without her husband or father or a male signing off on it. So uh, oh. I think that puts it pretty much in perspective because I think most young people today cannot imagine a boy or a girl without a credit card. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Like a lot of these interviews, I'd completely forgotten we'd had that exchange, and I certainly didn't remember that that was true in 1973. That is amazing. It's kind of interesting to think what might be the equivalent today, looking forward, you know, uh, 45 years. What 45 years from now will we be looking back and saying, wow, I can't believe that's the way society worked. But Billie Jean is, is a total classic out there for tennis fans and also uh, for uh, perfect examples of leadership in life. She's great. Yeah. What happened to Bobby Riggs? Do we know? Um, I think he is no he, longer, he's no longer living. Yeah, but he was, he was the ultimate hustler. Like he would, My favorite Bobby Riggs hustle is he played someone in a tennis match and Bobby Riggs had a dog on a leash, and he had to walk the dog. He had to keep the dog on the leash and have a racket in the other hand. So he was all about the hustle, and he could get inside people's heads, and he could win. But Who's another hustler you're rooting for in life now? I, you know, I, this entire episode is about you, Mac. No, I just want to tell you, we're shifting it all. It's no I, longer I, about the clips. I don't, I don't, you I cheered don't, for Bobby Riggs. Who are you cheering for now? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't typically root for hustlers. I, I root against them. You know, Mac, we need to move on. We've got one more interview. We've got a couple clips from that one. But before we do, I, I, I suspect that some people do want to hear us apologize on your behalf to Billie Jean King for you rooting for Bobby Riggs. So I propose, in fact, I'm going to ask Anne Henry, our producer, and I hope this is okay with you. Let's run as an extra this weekend, Tom's and my interview with Billie Jean King from 2000, was it 2002? Correct. Yeah, from 2002. That is awesome, because then the world will get to hear us apologize to Billie Jean King on Mac's behalf. And since Tom has earlier pointed out that this is largely just Mac's show, uh, I think that extends it into your weekend. So, quite seriously, we will run the Billie Jean King interview. I think it's a lot of fun. I look forward to listening to it again myself. So, RBI podcast fans and Billie Jean King fans, please look forward to that this coming weekend. All right, Mac, who do you got last for? Can I say one thing about Serena Williams since sure. you mentioned her? That is an awesome, com- what, a, what an amazing competitor. I don't know if you watched Wimbledon in the match that she lost in the finals, but it was delayed for more than an hour because the semifinal men's match had run long, and she was asked in the post-match conference, how much did that disrupt you? And she said, I'm not about excuses. It's not about excuses. Nice. I didn't win. Isn't that amazing? And she had a child 10 months ago. And a very, and a diff- very difficult delivery. Yeah. That, that, uh, so it's been a challenge for her to get back here. And I mean, what, what, there's an American hero. That is awesome. Is she the most dominant athlete 
in an individual sport. You can you can make you that argument. My, did you ever see my brother play wiffle ball? <laughs> what, what, did you ever see? Was him? he that good? I was unhittable. I had like eight different pitches. He was unhittable. But I don't think that I really rose to any level of. I will say this: my single greatest there wasn't college athletic. There wasn't a market. The market I, had not developed yet. It's for you. true, and so my you were, friend you were Glenn, two generations early. My friend Glenn Edder and I, as sophomores at the University of North Carolina, were playing wiffle as a club sport, and we had a three-on-three match against three guys who were each six-two or taller and looked really imposing. And our third teammate couldn't show for three-on-three wiffles. So Glenn and I, one of us pitching, because Dave's serious about this, He's and the other guy playing first base. And we won that game. We beat the three David guys in Gardner wiffle ball. Is the Serena Williams of wiffle ball? Only I, like that. I do want to just challenge any RBI podcast listeners out there to pull together a team and ask to play David and Glenn Etter, and he doesn't even need a third. And I think we you all can know. bring three. I don't. You bring two AAA, present day AAA baseball players and a retired Hall of Famer. And David and Glenn Edder, as a two-person team, will beat you. I, I, I'm not sure Glenn's hearing this, but I appreciate you putting out that challenge, Tom. This, I'm probably 30 <laughs> years past my prime. Really? I do want to say about wiffle ball that there are multiple different types of wiffle balls, but I'm pretty sure we all know that the real one no excuses. is the one Remember with the holes Serena. on one half of the ball, not the little holes on the whole ball. We're so talking about the wiffle you, ball that you can really make you can make that thing move. People so think that, ask, you're throwing curveballs and stuff? Definitely. Balls, all that? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, curveball, of course, snap your wrist, but a lot of the high other, heat on the, ball the other way. Split finger. Yeah. Risers. Knuckleball. Knuckleball. Everything. Wow. Unhittable. I'm a hack. I just play on the beach and it's not pretty. Uh, I, I don't think that wiffle ball should ever be played on the beach. Is that right? I mean, there's no way to control don't the wind. Why, why, why don't you, cheapen why, the game, Matt Why would you say that? Why would you just throw that out there like Why would you root against the Billie Jean? Because the premise hurtful. of the game is using, using the wind through the holes of the ball. When when winds are coming to the beach, it's completely out of control. You but can't life, play wiffle ball But life is why, full of randomness. Life is full of randomness. Why would you pretend to know the German language and root against Billie Jean? I, I, you do not know for a fact that I've pretended to know the this German language. This whole episode is fake news now. All right. Well, let's go back to reality. Okay. And uh, and our final interview, Mac. Who do you got for us? Um, we've got a Sir, as in Sir Bob Geldof. Now, um, some people may know that name. Humanitarian, musician, rock and roll star from the Boomtown Rats. Um, grew up in Dublin. Grew up in Ireland. Um, and is probably best known for being the humanitarian who really organized kind of the feed the world effort. Um, Live Aid concert. Live Aid. Yeah. So he was he was the driving force behind Live Aid, and we had an opportunity to talk to him in 2002. We're going to play two clips from that interview. The first clip is asking him about kind of business and money and his experience in Dublin growing up. Bob, tell us a little bit about growing up in Dublin. Tell us about the role of business and money in your childhood. That's an easy question. There was no money um, because there was no business. My dad was a commercial traveller. He went around the countryside of Ireland selling towels and uh, carpets. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Ireland in those years was a very poor country. There was uh, two outlets really to uh, you when you left school. You could become part of the civil service, which required fluent Irish. So that sort of left out 98% of the population Mm -hmm. or there was agriculture which was the main uh, economic motor and during my childhood as I said my dad didn't have money Uh, my mum died when I was six Uh, I was I sort of brought myself up and 
as a result of that, I think, you know, learned to be independent very quickly. The downside of that is there was no one to temper my opinion. I would read things, formulate an opinion, and just believe that to be true. So hence my dogmatism, which you know, often spoils a good argument. Wow. So there's somebody um, who's incredibly accomplished, um, who's very charitably minded, as Mac mentioned earlier, and who also grew up in really hard straits. And earlier we talked some about Howard Schultz, who described his own growing up on the other side of the track. And it reminds us that what we think of as the American dream uh, isn't just alive in America. It clearly is with somebody like Howard Schultz, but there it was in Ireland too, a country that these days has gotten significantly more prosperous, partly by welcoming in corporations with much lower taxes. Um, but that was a that was a great reflection from somebody who um, I, I hope because I know there's another clip coming. I hope you're going to have the other thing that he said because he he he's very foolish. He educates, amuses, and enriches throughout. He does that. The second clip is asking Bob Geldof, well, about his investments. We want to ask you throughout your career now, looking back, what would you highlight as the smartest and the dumbest investment that you've ever made? I've never played the market. I don't understand it. I used to maybe take a punt on horses when I was in school. It's a sort of Irish pastime, so everyone does it. <laughs> but I, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd always bet a shilling each way. You know, I'm, I'm very safe, and I'd study form just like you know uh, <laughs> stockbrokers do, and I'd know the rider, and I'd get a tip just like stockbrokers do that this horse is going to do it. You know, but boy, how many times did I lose that shilling? You know, and I used to listen to my Spanish teacher, Father Kilbride, because he'd put like Spanish. Uh, we're not going to do Spanish today because I had a great tri- <laughs> tip on the Aintree at three o'clock. And we'd, he said, get out your pencils. And we'd all get out our pencils, write down flying target at the three o'clock at 30 to one. If it goes to 20 to one, don't bet. And like, so we'd all be 13 and we'd all steam down to the bookies and we'd put our shilling on flying target. And uh. Kilbride always got it right. I mean, if he told me to bet on a company, I better. But I, I can guarantee you, he'd never have told me to bet on Enron. <laughs> <laughs> that was spectacular, and that's one we've heard and played back around Full HQ some few, few times in between the sixteen oh, it's years. It's almost like now you, and then. you don't really have to replay it. You remember it so well. Like, you know, I was like, Father Kilbride. Yeah. <laughs> so great. Flying target into third. Uh, actually, yeah. Um, Tom, you and I have a fair amount of Irish blood in us. Uh, you spent twenty three and me. Twenty three and me. That's what. That's what we. That's what we learn. Yeah. Yeah. You spent some time in Dublin yourself. Did sure. you not? Yeah. I mean, we spent a lot of time as a family in in Ireland, traveling around playing, uh, very very sub mediocre golf as kids. <laughs> um, there was a there's a great round that we had with La our Hinch. father at La Hinch. and uh, we uh, we got to the fourteenth hole. You, you're required to have a caddy, and. Um, yeah, we ran out of golf balls. Um, yeah, we'd bought I think maybe four or five sleeves yeah. as a as a father and two we sons. We humiliated our caddy <laughs> as we walked in from the 14th. Yeah, you had to quit. Yeah, well, yeah, we had no golf balls left. Our yeah. last one, our dad I think was in the rough, and he took seven swings at it. Could not get Lahench is I can incredibly actually, I difficult. Can actually, add to the story. There were t- two great moments actually. They're both dads. One was yeah, he was in he was in the light rough, which was like up to your waist. The grass was up to your waist, and he took five or six swings of the ball, and then he just got frustrated and dropped it out in the fairway. And the caddy said, "I'd I'd have done that after the first one." <laughs> and then the uh, and then we got down to the 14th hole, and Dad had been hooking every. Everything left, and this was like a seaside course, and there were cliffs, 
and it off to the left of the fairway, and we were like, Dad, please let one of us hit this, because we were all rotating shots. We had one ball with a deep cut in it that remained at the bottom of someone's bag. <laughs> Back when golf balls had cuts in them, right? Yes. These days, technology, you almost never see that. And but... then Dad teed it far left into the water, <laughs> and we and we walked in. That's, we we literally, I don't think we had golf carts, right? So we we hoofed it in from the oh, 14th, yeah, yeah, defeated yeah. by LaHench, which to this day is probably, we're not great golfers, as Thomas mentioned, probably <laughs> one of the hardest golfers? courses that we've ever played. And I yes. think it's generally Quite. esteemed as a, as a hard course. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a hard course. We stick to wiffle ball. In our family, <laughs> I like it. Mac, was it easy to to book somebody like Bob Geldof or Billie Jean King? I mean, or Howard Schultz? I mean, it's an achievement unto itself often to bring these people to the mic, the full mic. You know, I I don't remember with Bob Geldof. I remember Billie Jean King actually joined us from Wimbledon, which was pretty cool. So she was on a phone. She was at Wimbledon, and um, but they were both just incredibly gracious. And you know, most most of our guests can the same I think, are thing be said nice. of Stephanie Powers. You know, that's, that's, are you, are that's, you previewing the next Blast from the Radio yes. Pass Volume was Three? It, was Tom it a Gardner? gracious? Was it a gracious guest? Uh, you know, I don't know was if she I a gracious guest. She was. She was maybe not not over the top gracious. She was a little. She was a little hard to follow, and we'll we'll share that clip at some point, or maybe that's maybe that's an extra, David. I don't know. It's it's. If I'm not wrong, Cox Broadcasting pressed that interview on a CD and passed it around their office as the worst interview in in. In Cox Radio history. I now I, I don't want to overhype the next volume in this series, but I think Blast from the Radio Pass Volume Three should probably include some Stephanie Powers. Now a lot of people may not still know that name, but she was an accomplished actress. Uh, it still is, and uh, was famous for her Heart to Heart. She was on Heart to Heart with Robert. Robert, come on, Matt Greer, seventies oh, TV knowledge. Robert, um, Wagner, Wagner, maybe. Yeah, and and Stephanie Powers, right? Heart it. to heart, and uh, and we had her on the Motley Fool Radio Show, and we really bombed that interview. Yeah, and and the Could reason, we, the oh, reason I had reason. read in the New York Times that she <laughs> was really getting into investing, and she Dell was her favorite stock, and I think the piece may have even been in the business section. So that was the reason I booked her. I'm not saying that it was a strong booking, but. You know, there was a reason. Uh, in retrospect, looking back now more than a decade, which is kind of what we're doing in this series, any booking that re- results in the worst interview Cox had ever heard is a strong booking. Thank yeah, you. I would I would say that uh, a highly listenable podcast would be entitled, and, and please know that this is said with love, I think it would be entitled, Mac Greer, colon, I'm sorry. I like that. I, I think, you know, a collection of... Things that went wrong out there, and of course you're you're taking the blame for the Mac, and we're joking. It was it was us on the air with that. But there are five or six interviews out there that I think all of us walked out of the studio after that interview laughing and thinking <laughs> that was really bad. Yeah, I think that that's was, right. That was very bad. I would I would maybe let me try to top that. Good, a bit. please. I would call it Mac Greer. Colin, top w- it. What were you thinking? What were you thinking? And, 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 Maybe it's and just, you or David were you th- just basically say, okay, this week we're talking Vicki Lawrence. <laughs> what were you thinking? Yeah, Soupy Sales. What were you thinking, Mac Greer? I like it. it. Do you own MacGreer.com now? I, someone else did for years. We, we did, but I, I don't ever remember if we did anything <laughs> I'm with pretty it. sure Mac was looking the other way one day, and Tom, you and I registered. Uh, yeah. It was yeah, se- no, no, $7, $7 maybe? It. And, and we own. Then. We owned for years yeah, MacGreer.com. I don't think we've it, though. Let's just... No, I do not own it. You don't own it? No. We don't want to go there. Wow. Well, I'll just report in now that MacGreer.com is available. Is available. Okay. Mm. It's going to be a race right Money after to this. Burn. Thing. I suspect <laughs> by the time this, this airs, be, listen, it will no this. longer be true. How about this? 
Anne, Mac, David, and I agree that none of us will purchase MacGreer.com. We all agree, and we will not ask. It's a easy for me to agree to a, that. We will not ask a friend or a family member to go purchase it. <laughs> we will simply invite RBI podcast listeners. Anyone who would like to to purchase MacGreer.com is going to cost you whatever twenty bucks, and then you may do with it whatever you choose. Mac, do you agree? I agree, but that will not happen. If that does happen, then we are like Rome. We are about to fall as a civilization. If someone has that sort of money, you know, what's it, 20 bucks? Just don't do that. I mean, congratulations. Your domain is available. Mm. MacGrew.com. Okay. Wow. So I think we've got some good, good actions coming out of this conversation. <laughs> and what a great throwback. Thank you both for an awesome uh, set of reminders of how many amazing things have happened because of audio in the Motley Fool. That is true. And we are marking... And because of Matt Greer. And Ann Henry. And that's very true. And David Gardner. And and many, many fools. Our CEO, Tom Gardner, uh, most of all. So, thanks a lot for listening into this week's Rule Breaker Investing Podcast. The Motley Fool is celebrating its 25th anniversary throughout the year, but especially this week, we have a bash at our company later this week. So, we're going to have a lot of fun celebrating. Mac, it was a pleasure, once again, looking backwards. And I, I look forward to when we next do this. This is the second time this year. Maybe before 2018's out, we'll get back with some Stephanie Powers and some more Mac Greer magic. And, um, and listeners, if you enjoy this format, let us know. Drop us a review at on iTunes or Google Play. Let us know how we're doing. I always appreciate Throw me some stars. Give us a sense of what we're doing. I'll, I'll say this, Mac, Tom, I had a great time with you guys. Thanks a lot for this time. Thanks, David. Thanks, Tom. Full on. All right. Well, again, a pleasure always to be joined by my brother on this podcast and our dear longtime friend and producer, Mac Greer. Thank you to Ann Henry for stepping in to produce this show this week. And thank you, of course, always to you, our listeners. Without you, we wouldn't even be bothering to do this. Thank you for suffering fools gladly. There was certainly more foolishness than usual on this week's show. All right, well, next week's show is Mailbag. That's right, it's the final Wednesday of the month of July 2018, and that means it's time for your mailbag. And spoiler alert, I'm going to be taping this one a little early, and so if you'd like to be featured potentially on next week's Mailbag, Definitely get us an email, rbi at fool.com, by close of business this week. That's right. Friday close of business is when we'll shut it off and not look at emails, not look at tweets, which you can do as well. You can tweet us at, at RBI Podcast. Uh, so please get all those in this week, and I'll be taping early next week. In the meantime, stay cool out there. Fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.